Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, welcome. Welcome to the show. I am feel woefully kind of not ready here. How you doing? I was, I was, I was mulling a, uh, a story that I, I just read in the local paper uh, that I was a little surprised about. Uh, and far be it from me to disagree with those who are charged with keeping the flame uh, burning for Fred Rogers, but I just don't. Uh, there is a new ad, TV ad out uh, for Google, and it's the only audio is Fred, Mr. Rogers, and um, it's for the it's for Google's new uh, phone, Pixel Three, and. I did see the commercial. Amy, is it conceivable you could try to find if that's online there? Go- I don't know where I saw it. Google Fred Rogers uh, Pixel 3. Um, the song, what they do is they use, clearly Fred's voice is what you first hear. He's speaking and then he goes into a song that he used many times on his show. But it is not as well known as, for instance, you know, won't you, won't you be my neighbor? This song was "Did You Know," and it's about did did you know that it's all right to wonder? I think is the main line. Did you know? And it's a song he used when he did his his segments. He often did about um, how things are built, how things work, how simple things are, you know, fascinating. And uh, it's a wonderful song. And it's about being awed by the world around you, wondering about it, seeking out answers. Here we come to Google seeking out answers um and as you wonder you learn curiosity and wonder lead to knowledge it's a lovely song but fred was the most anti-commercial person i've ever known I mean, to the point where I thought sometimes he was, I'm very anti-commercialism, but he was, I, I sometimes I thought just, uh, you know, his, his guardianship of, of children uh, was such that he never felt that they should in any way be on the receiving end of a pitch. And he didn't like that our culture was so commercial. He was not a materialistic man at all. 
I remember uh, Jean Marie Laskus, who's been on this show many times, who's uh, all over the all over the world now, uh, promoting her book about uh, Obama's uh, letters to responses to people who wrote to him. Um, she had decades ago done a Life magazine piece on. Mr. Rogers, and I, th I believe it's how she met him, and they became, she became very close to him and to Joanne, and in doing the piece, she had gone to their little uh, beach house in Nantucket, and it was called the Crooked House for a reason. <laughs> I think it was, it was sort of a skew. And I remember her, in her piece, talking about the furnishings and how they were, it was like Salvation Army stuff. It was like just stuff that was found and stuck. It, and this was Fred, not into material stuff. You did find this, you found it? I mean... I'd ask all of you to, um, l the video uh, in it is lovely and matches the song well. And the people that control Fred's music and its licensure uh, are normally very, very, very disinclined to allow a commercial entity to use him. But in this case, according to uh, the Post-Gazette, uh, a spokesman for Fred, Fred Rogers Productions, which own the, the rights to his music catalog, says this, we wouldn't ordinarily, but we felt it was tastefully done. And she goes on to say that the ad agency shared the storyboards with us, so we did have approvals. At this point, I don't think, well, that she said, because this song has such a connotation with Fred's love of being curious and exploring and discovering and wanting to know how things are made or the people behind them, this was just so beautifully done. You'll be seeing it. I guess it aired during the World Series or something. I don't know. But it's still selling a friggin' iPhone. I, I'm not happy with it. Anyway, there's lovely pictures of people looking at things in awe. The phone pops up every once in a while in the video, but let's can we listen to some of those the, the song it's it's a beautiful song with a lovely meaning and and understand this is a song he wrote for young children did you know did you know did you know that it's all right? To wonder, did you know that it's all right to wonder? 
There are all kinds of wonderful things. You can ask a lot of questions about the world and your place in it. You can ask about people's feelings. You can learn that the sky's the limit. Did you know? Did you know? Did you know when you wonder you're learning? Did you know when you marvel you're learning about all kinds of wonderful, all kinds of marvelous, marvelously wonderful things? We learn so much by wondering. And that's selling Google's phone. I want to lodge a protest. I really do. It is beautifully done. We are going to, Amy's putting it up on my Facebook page so you can see the commercial. You can see the video. And it's lovely. I mean, I, I agree. It's lovely. But Fred didn't write that song to sell anything. He wrote the song, obviously, in his usual, unbelievably gentle, uh, brilliant way of telling children and reminding adults that when you stop and wonder, when your brows knit, that that's such a great thing, especially if you then seek out more information about what you're wondering. So you can see where Google said, hey man, this song was written for us. But it wasn't. And I don't care how pretty the ad agency did it. It is lovely. The, it's so tasteful. And I'm just sorry that the Fred Rogers productions succumbed I don't know how much they got paid. I mean, they must have gotten paid for the use of the song. Did that did that tip it? I I feel with great certainty that Fred, if he were alive, wouldn't have entertained this for a moment. Another great story that Fred, that that uh, about Fred that was uh, again told by Jean Marie Laskus, because she witnessed it. <laughs> Burger King had put out an ad. This would be in the uh, 80s, early 80s, I think. Uh, using a Fred Rogers, it wasn't him, but it was someone like him, clearly looking kind of like him, and. Um, trying to sell their burgers and Fred saw it and was <laughs> was furious I mean it's hard to imagine Fred Rogers serious I mean furious but he was and Jean watched as Fred Rogers dealt with this 
he got the number of the CEO of Burger King, and he called the guy. Gene only heard Fred's end of the conversation, <laughs> but <laughs> and she could tell this story better than I, obviously, but there was Fred, and she said, you know, he gets through, says, Fred Rogers calling, I need to talk to blah, 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 so he, he gets through, and hello, Mr. So-and-so. Um, I'm Fre I'm Fred Rogers. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I've just seen this commercial that you have out, and it was all in this his kind, gentle voice. And I just wanted to ask you, do do you have children? Yes. Do you have do you have grandchildren? Yes. Well, if they do they ever watch my show, or do they have adults in their lives that they trust? Well, you understand a lot of children trust me. They know me. And I think this, that if they see this commercial, it will be very confusing to them. They will wonder why I'm trying to sell them hamburgers because I've never done such a thing. I don't sell them anything. And you wouldn't want your children or your grandchildren confused about uh, an adult that they care about. And it was all done like that. It wasn't, how dare you? Did you, how dare you? Like so many people would do, because he was angry. And it was just like that. And within a minute or so, Gene is hearing Fred say, well, I thank you very much. Thank you very much. I so appreciate it. And he hangs up. Those commercials were pulled immediately. I can't even begin to imagine how much Burger King lost <laughs> in terms of, you know, they did all the research, they paid an agency, they had it, they sold the stuff, and they, one call from Fred, gone, never raising his voice, just doing what Fred did, appealing to the, the better parts. And so, I just, I'm sorry. I, I just was upset to see it. I know it's not a big story, but to me it is. <laughs> I I I I just he wouldn't have I mean, I really thought, I mean, like, one of the things, he didn't even approve of, like, Thomas the Tank Engine. I don't know if he was public about that. But I remember him telling me that uh, he didn't think inanimate objects should be speaking to children. <laughs> that they should, <laughs> and I thought, oh, come on, you know, jeez. But... He was, 
I mean, he was, and if you've seen the extraordinary documentary about him, he was radical. And the most non-commercial person I've, I've, as I said, ever known. So, I just wanted to say fooey. Disappointed. Okay, I got something. I am avoiding, okay? I'm just avoiding for a while the the horrors of the uh, of the world. And I got no great obits today to save me. Not that I wish a wondrous person to die, so I have a I have a good obit. <laughs> um This has to do with, you know, people's behavior in automobiles. Why is it? <laughs> so, these are questions that nobody ever answers, but what? why is it that, like right now on the Boulevard of the Allies, which is how I come downtown, that if it's two lanes, if uh, one way, if there's a sign that greets you almost immediately that says, you know, work ahead, road work ahead, okay, that's good. I now know that. I mean, it's not good. I think, like, uh, okay. Then it says, there's another thing, says right lane closed ahead. I think, okay. And it says... There's a sign to, and I think these come very fast, maybe they're even more than, and it says, use both, there's a sign they put up, and it says, use both lanes to merge point. And nobody does. The minute they see right lane closed ahead, Everybody moves over to the left lane, leaving the right lane, which is not closed at that point, <laughs> absolutely clear. And even though there's, you would think if this is about following instructions, that the instructions the people are being given is to don't do what you just did. Stay in both lanes, please. And they're telling you that because obviously people who know about traffic flow and engineering know that that is the best way to deal with this closed lane coming up. Use both lanes up, into, up until a point. And then lo and behold, they tell you both lanes are open quite a bit. So I go into... I'm following instructions. I'm breezing by all of these people who failed to read the signs or something and are already over on the left lane, which is at a dead stop. I'm down the right lane, following instructions, and then I see a sign, merge here. And then I think it said, please take your turn, or take your turn. There was a very nice merge here, 
take your turn. So I pull up to the merge here. I put my left blinker on. And what do I get? I get looks from people who'd been waiting in that left lane. I get looks like, well, screw you. You breeze up here and expect to come in. And I'm thinking, I'm just doing what they told me to do. I can't. And about six, six, seven cars would not let me in. They would not take their turn. Please take your turn. What is that? I mean, I'm, I'm serious. What the? Anyway. They made me feel like I was somehow taking advantage like I was gaming the system, like I had done something. And I started to feel like I was a jerk. I mean, I, they were looking at me like, you jerk, you jerk. And I'm I, thinking, I, I, it says right here, right over there, it says merge point. Please take your, I'm. So it's been like that all week. And all week. There's nobody in that right lane the entire time. The minute it says right lane closed, ahead. Use both lanes. <laughs> Everybody moves over. <laughs> I'm I what I don't know what that is. I always I'm curious about human nature. It's it's weird. <laughs> it's confusing to me. I, I often think that, like, around here, I think people generally do follow rules. So I'm, I'm curious about that. Anyway, whatever, seeing no one ever helps me. That one just, uh, I read a little bit the other day that I appreciated. They're, you know, the, the, they're calling this, they, the media, are calling this the year of the woman again. And I thought, wait a minute, we already had the year of the woman. I remember there was a year of a woman back, I don't know how long ago. Maybe there's been a few years of the woman. All of a sudden, it's a year of the woman. And I guess that's because of the Me Too movement. And it's also because a lot of women are running, right, for office for the first time. And... Let me tell you what women's reactions to this kind of nomenclature is and this branding that media do. If 2018 is the year of the woman, then I guess 2019 is going to revert to, yeah, you know. Okay, man. We gave him a year. We get a year. It's like black people say about Black uh, History Month. We get a month, <laughs> and 11 months, it's white. It's the usual. It's white guy's history. And, you know, we, get a, we are actually more of the population. We get a, we get a year. And, and often, this, this, when women run, they're treated like they're exotic beings. And a lot of young, you know, like uh, if somebody in this piece said, like, like they're unicorns. You know, the year of the unicorns. When a, when a guy runs for office, he's just a candidate. 
right? And a woman runs her office. She's a friggin' unicorn. She's a, uh, yeah, a woman, a female candidate. And in fact, that happens to marginalized populations all the time. Uh, a great novelist who's black is often referred to as a great black novelist, which pisses me off, and I'm sure pisses the great black novelist off, because they're a great novelist. We don't say that William Faulkner was a great white novelist, do we? <laughs> I so hate this bullshit, because this kind of, this perpetuates that this is a white guy's world. And, 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 you know, okay, we'll give you a month, you black guys. All right, you're really good at what you do, but we've got to insert this adjective. And what it tells us is that black people in the arts, in politics, in, do not have equal standing, do not have parity. In the minds of media and reporters, do not still considered unicornish. You've come a long way, baby. When the hell did that ad campaign start? It was like 1970. I'm not kidding you. You've come a long way, baby. Female politicians, black authors, black anybody's, female anythings, need to be normalized they're not just I, I it drives me crazy but here's the reality women politicians and candidates are treated like some kind of exotic because in fact they are a bit They don't in any way hold the power that they should, given their abilities and their population. I, th I think the first year of the woman was 1992, and that's the year that like a whole bunch of Democratic women uh, made their way into Congress. In fact, uh, doubled the number of women in Congress. And by doubling the number of women in Congress in 1992, they got up to 10%. 10%! Hey, let's have a party here. Even though they're 50-plus percent of the population. You know where it is now? It's at A woman who observes such things says, you know what will really be the year of the woman? When we don't call it the year of the woman. When it's not in any way remarkable. Um, so, to the big story, these bombs. We're up to 12 now. One addressed to Cory Booker, that one's in Florida, one to uh, 
James Clapper, the former uh, intelligence head. Uh, that's in New York, and there's at a sorting facility. I, I, I mean, I'm sure you know all this stuff. Um, but that's clearing out. They've had to close down an area of uh, that facilities in Midtown, not far from actually where the CNN uh, lockdown was the other day. Um, so these packages are being removed. I don't know. I hope they find this person. What's your big fear? I, I keep hearing like anch anchor people saying, oh, this is terrorizing the nation. Are you terrorized? I'm not either. <laughs> now, if I were, <laughs> if I were a former head of intelligence <laughs> in a democratic, uh, you know, administration, or if I was a democratic office holder of some note, uh, then I might be a little, yeah, anxious. But um, I am not anxious myself. Here's where my anxiety lies. What if, when they find this guy, it is a false flag operation? It is one of our own trying to pin something on the repubs. It's a possibility. And I don't think it's the, I don't think it's a probability, but it's a possibility. And so I am desperate for them to find this person and uh, end my anxiety. Because <laughs> that's, the, it happens. Um, it happens, as you know. Uh, one of the more recent cases was, I think, just last year. Or the, or two years ago, time flies when you're an old fart. And I believe there were a number of uh, Jewish community centers that were getting phone calls saying that there were, you know, bombs in the building. And uh, these community centers, Jewish facilities, were being evacuated all over the country. I mean, it really got to be a lot. Never happened here at the JCC. And a lot of times these are places that have uh, preschool, uh, you know, nursery schools, children, uh, daycare facilities. So there are these videos of these little kids being ushered out with cops all over the place. And when they found that perp, it was a teenage kid in Israel making the calls. So... I'm just saying. I hope we don't have another thing like that. Anyway, we got a call. Hello, caller. Hi, Lynn. Um, my biggest fear is not that it's going to be a Democrat or a false flag. My fear is when they find this person, he's either going to or she. Probably he, as we yeah, know, probably. is probably going yeah. to have committed suicide or blow themselves up. And then that will just stoke the conspiracy of, oh, well, this is a false flag. This person never existed. He's not in custody. 
he's he's not really dead. He was never alive, blah, blah, blah. So that's just going to fuel their fire. So, you know, we really can't win with these people. <laughs> you were asking the other day on your show, how do, how do we uh, even – you know, yeah. How do you fight them? How do you how do you run against them? Yeah. yeah. How do you do it? Is there an answer? Yeah. Mm. No. <laughs> um, no. No. Well, well, you're right. So, and uh, that would be like you know. So, if there's not a definitive uh, end to uh, this, um, that would also yeah continue to. Even if though they find That's my some, biggest yeah. Well, you know the. <sighs> I sure hope they find whoever it is fast, but I will bet it is a white male. Will we bet on that? Anybody going to bet against that? No, I don't think I don't think it's going to be a black female somewhere in Florida <laughs> sending these things. No. <laughs> but that right, would be odd. Uh, I mean, so yeah, okay. Bye, you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> but it appears at this point that it maybe is someone in Florida. What is with that state? What is with that state? I won't go there anymore. I know a lot of people go to Florida. They love it. They vacation there. They this, that, and the other thing. And to me, it is like Crazyville. I don't, I don't care that they got a nice beach here and there. I hate that state and don't want to drop any money in it. Now, if, if Gillum ends up being the governor, I'll reconsider. I will. But... Uh, other than that, I'm staying away. Um, Chuck says, my wife and I saw the Google ad on TV last night, and we were both taken aback <laughs> when we realized what we were watching. But because you don't know what's going on. All of a sudden, there's Fred Rogers singing this lovely song to you and these beautiful pictures accompanying it. You think, what the hell's happening here? And it's not until the end, very tasteful, very tasteful, that a little Google thing comes up. And Chuck writes, I was expecting some sort of charity promotion or something. My wife and I were reminded of the recent specials on QED where they showed Mr. Rogers and King Friday doing a promo fundraising spot for WQED. And the host pointed out that it was the only fundraising promo he ever did for QED. He didn't even want to raise money for QED. He didn't want to be somebody asking for, yeah, someone's money. I'm already upset that many of my favorite songs from my youth are now being used it is true, I am too, to sell prescription drugs and retirement planning. Well, how are they going to get right to your heart if they don't use the songs that you care about? And Chuck writes, but using this song by Mr. Rogers is just going a bit too far and takes just a little bit of shine off for me. Well, you can't let it take shine off him because it wasn't his decision. But I think it's a mistake for those of us who see him for what he was. And what he was was not a commercial pitch man in any way. In any way. 
He was as far from that as a person could be. But I, I think most people don't know that, although he's getting so much better known now because of the, the success of the documentary and, and uh, the fact that there's just clear yearning for his kindness and his goodness now. But I don't know. Um, Barbara sends good news, maybe. And this is evangelists are preaching the gospel of Trump are now being pilloried by some for their toxic Christianity. I don't. Uh, there are increasingly, and I have seen, yeah, indications that some Christians are getting to the point where they really feel they have to take back their religion. They got to go to battle for Jesus here and rest the religion. I was going to say that he founded. He didn't. Um, the religion that worships him. They've got they've to save it. So this is a piece uh, from Raw Story, which well, I'm glad it's happening. I mean, as much as it is, but man, they got to get they got to get to work. <laughs> According to a report from the Guardian, there is just a a young, growing movement pushing back at uh, these evangelicals who uh, are absolutely abandoning every Christian principle. Uh, to support Trump. And they point out at a rally in Greensboro, uh, a reverend called out some of Trump's policies following each example that he brought up with, quote, I don't think Jesus would have done it that way. So more and more are saying that. Now that ra rally was organized by Vote Common Good, which is an organization designed to encourage Christians to stop aiding and abetting this cruel uh, Republican Party. Uh, the organization's executive director is a guy named Doug Paget. And he says, we've been really dumbfounded and dismayed by the level of support <laughs> that evangelical leaders have given to Trump. We have a moral obligation and a religious obligation to offer a different voice. Our faith compels us to speak out. And this guy is figuring he that maybe 20% of the evangelicals who are in Trump's pocket are potentially open to having their hearts recaptured <laughs> by the true teachings of, uh, of Jesus. And he says there are a lot of them out there 
They may have voted for Trump, but they really are not supportive. They've watched the rhetoric turn into horrible, uh, li horrible life implications for people, such as those children and parents at the border. And they are generally silent and most feel alone and isolated. They're probably fearful of, yes, yeah, speaking out in their communities. And we want to stand with them and tell them their faith calls them to do something different. And if they're still afraid, no one knows how they vote in the polling uh, booth. There, if you're too fearful of saying anything uh, to your Trump-supporting family and church members and all of that in the polling booth, that's your vote. And they're trying because these are evangelicals who are doing this because their th their faith has been stolen. He says, if I now describe myself as evangelical, the red flags go up. People immediately assume I'm anti-gay, I'm anti-woman, I'm anti-environment, I'm anti-immigrant, I'm pro-gun, all these things that I am not. So, well, that was a piece from The Guardian. Okay. Thank you. Uh, speaking of uh, the children, I think it was uh, about two, three weeks ago, I read you, and I could barely stand it, a, I think it was a New York Times report, in which the reporter went to immigration court in Manhattan and watched as a two-year-old girl was led in to the court and lifted up into the seat of the defendant. And you might recall, I mean, they described it with her shoes, her little, little tiny little feet hardly even making it over the seat of the chair. Her name was got it here somewhere. Her name was Fernanda Davila, Davilla. And her grandmother had brought her to the United States. Her grandmother had been already deported back. Uh, Fernanda had, of course, been kidnapped by American authorities and ended up very far from her home in Honduras. She was uh, placed in a facility in New York. And from there, uh, made her way into this court because her family back in Honduras, desperately trying to get her back, was doing all the stuff they were supposed to do. And the article shows how the judge actually looks down. Can you imagine a two-year-old and a judge on high looking down at her and saying, you know, what's your name? She doesn't. Who's your, she couldn't answer a question. And she's crying. 
sobbing. And she's led back out. It was one of like 30-some children who that judge dealt with that day. She was led out and right back to whatever facility she was being held in. There was a follow-up story in today's New York Times. Fernanda was yesterday along with seven other children, finally put on an airplane and flown back to Honduras. Her family was waiting at the airport with balloons and all kinds of teddy bears, anything. They were so, so excited. And finally they see Fernanda being brought out, being carried by somebody. And her mother yells out, Mi amor, mi amor, my love. And Fernanda looked at the woman who was screaming, Mi amor. And there was a blank look on her face. Blank. Her grandfather with whom she lived got the same reaction. Look how much you have grown, he says. She looked at him like, who the... put the balloons away, they put all this stuff away. Two other little boys who were part of this, they didn't even get, the parents still had to wait. All these children were put in a room behind a window. Parents are looking at their kids through the window. The kids are looking back at them in terror, some of them. It says two little boys here who looked so overwhelmed took cover under a desk. And they kept the children away from their families for 40 minutes in this room in the airport. And even then it was not over. Some official comes out and says... The children will now be taken to a center for additional screening before they can be returned to you, he says to the distraught parents. Finally, obviously, this child ends up with her family. And she ain't right. And her grandfather... It said his smile faded. Everybody was taken aback by the child's failure to respond. Her grandfather said, I need to take her to a psychologist tomorrow. Also on closer inspection, they found her body was covered in red spots and scabs, apparently from scratching herself. 
a nurse at the center said it was uh, an allergy or something. The child's mother said she never had an allergy. No. She was terrorized, traumatized. She was probably anxiety if there were hives, who knows, who knows what. That's what we do. This is your country at work. Terrorizing two-year-olds. Messing them up for life. Harming the, the necessary bonds that a child has with the adults who they are to feel safe around, who they are to trust. And there are more Fernandas coming our way. And what do we do? Our president calls out the friggin' army. Okay, catching up on your emails, guys. Hang on here. Mark writes, terrific line by Andrew Gillum, Florida governor's debate. He said, I don't know if you are a racist, Mr. DeSantis. That's his guys running against. But your racist friends sure think you are. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, Gillum is ahead in the polls, but that doesn't mean sh I'm not looking at these polls. Hillary Clinton was ahead by how much the day before uh, she went down in flames? Seriously. But yeah, those polls in Florida do look, I mean, if you want to <laughs> feel good, they look pretty good, and it is true that even... Even the Democrat running for the Senate, uh, Bill Nelson, well, he's running for his own seat, um, but he's up against their, the, the current governor, Rick Scott, who's expected to beat him. And I think Nelson is, uh, yeah, his numbers are definitely up as well. Also, Mark's got some more good news. A woman running for governor of Idaho, Paulette Jordan. She's a Native American running against an old white guy, and she's neck and neck in Idaho. Josie writes, I find myself becoming so cynical regarding this administration and the Republicans. Well, yeah, <laughs> cynical. You don't even have to be cynical. I mean, you just have to see them for what they are. I don't think that's cynical. That's just seeing them for what they are. And frankly, they are, as they have been for many, many, many years, shameless. They appeal to the worst in people. Their policies harm the least of us. They are without empathy. They are cruel. And their policies are. 
Josie writes, the thought has occurred to me, can these bombs have been planted by those working behind the scenes of this White House? Who knows? Josie, we got to, we don't know. They, it wouldn't make sense for them to do that. Uh, they are so damn good at playing the long game, I no longer put anything past them, which leads me to this. I came across this yesterday and it put a chill in my bones. Jim Wright is a retired Naval Chief Petty Officer and he's now a writer. It's much too long to read on the air, but it's definitely, oh, okay, whatever. And anyway, I guess in it he says, left-leaning people are being too naive and once again not looking for the Republicans' long game. Okay, I'll read it later. If I'm not sufficiently depressed by the end of the show, I'll, uh, I'll take it in later. Chris writes, I'm on the Boulevard of the Allies every day since the construction on the boulevard started. I have stayed in the right lane. Hey, you were the other car. Okay. Right lane until it says merge here. It drives me nuts too. I love how everyone in the left lane doesn't want to let you in at that point. Like you said, giving you dirty looks like you did something wrong when all you're doing is following their directions. Please talk about Mr. Rogers for the entire show. <laughs> I need to have a serenity now moment. Also, I sent in my absentee ballot yesterday. I darkened that oval to the extreme for every Democrat. Must have felt good. Have a wonderful weekend. You too. Here's a tweet from Donald Trump today at 1019. Republicans are doing so well in early voting and at the polls, and now this bomb stuff happens, and the momentum greatly slows. Oh, my God. The news is not talking about politics. Oh, he's pissed because the news now is not doing the, the invasion of the two-year-old Fernandez and their and their hungry, terrified moms. Yeah. News not talking politics. Very unfortunate what is going on. Republicans, go out and vote. <coughs> this bomb stuff happens. That's the president. Who I, I will add because it is so is so not surprising because we know him but one cannot imagine anybody else acting in such a way that he has never called the two former presidents who could have been assassinated by these bombs if they had gotten through Bombs are mailed to the homes of two predecessors of this president. And he doesn't get on the phone and say, hey, how are you? And, you know, we're doing everything we can. I just want you to... It's... As I said, we're not surprised. Um... I think I had another. Trump had a tweet. Oh, this tweet. At 3 a.m. this morning. <coughs> 3 a.m. 
Let's see what it was. Here it is. Imagine this. It's 3 in the morning today. Your president, hard at work. It's amazing. Funny, he writes. How lowly rated CNN. And again, this is one of the... This is an organization to which two bombs have been sent. <laughs> Funny how lowly rated CNN and others can criticize me at will, even blaming me for the current spate of bombs and ridiculously comparing this to September 11th and the Oklahoma City bombing. Yet when I criticize them, they go wild and scream. It's just not presidential. That's him. At 3.14 a.m. Incredible. Uh, and we have, wait, somebody wants me to point out about Megyn Kelly. Yeah, she's gone. Um, 17 mil a year they were given her. What, they gave her a, a primetime show that bombed. They gave her a, did they, didn't she have a weekend show that bombed too? And then their mo mo her morning show, wh whose ratings were consistently lower than the show that sh got bumped for Megyn Kelly, a show, by the way, anchored by two black people, Tamron Hall and, um, God, what's the, um, what's the meteorologist guy? Uh, Roker. <laughs> Roker. They got bumped to put this, little blonde racist from Fox uh, into their time slot and she's gone now. <sighs> Boy. Well, I think that's it. I mean, I do have other stuff, but I'm, uh, I think I'm, I think I'm done is what I am. Um, Enjoy your weekend. I uh, I'll see you uh, on uh, on Monday. As far as I know, I mean that's my intent. So uh, have a good one. God only knows what will happen in between now and Monday at 10 a.m. But uh, whatever the hell it is, we'll take a whack at it. Peace. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers. <laughs>